1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Rise above the sea of sameness and shop the Lincoln Corsair at Woodhouse Lincoln, the Omaha Metro's exclusive Lincoln dealer. The Lincoln Corsair has seating for five and integrated technology features that deliver the functionality you need. With an expressive aesthetic and luxurious interior, the Lincoln Corsair is quiet luxury, redefined. Visit us in-store off 144th and Giles Road at Woodhouse Place or online at woodhouselincoln.com.
3: On Long Shot Season 2, Payback. Legendary women's soccer coach Anson Dorrance told me there are players he is paid to coach. Oh,
4: what a finish by Jess McDonald!
3: And players he'd coach for free.
4: One touch
3: but that he would pay to coach Jessica McDonald. I ran away from home when I was 17 years old.
0: She's had some difficult moments in her life, but there's something inside the great athletes that is why
1: they're great. McDonald, first start for the U.S. women's national team. How about that?
3: Listen to Payback on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm Katherine Townsend, host of the true crime podcast, Hell and Gone. On October 30th, 2015... The Little Rock Police Department searched an abandoned car in a small residential park. The car belonged to 18 year old Ebby Steppick. Ebby had vanished without a trace. I'm back in Arkansas trying to find out what really happened to Ebby Steppick. Listen to Helen Gone on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The
4: coolest thing and the best. Part of my job is when a family or a couple or friends come in and they say, I feel like I belong here. Because so often in our community, we place these barriers in front of individuals who are extremely independent and capable, and then we ask them to have to go through these barriers that a person without a wheelchair would never, ever have to experience in their life.
1: This is Brooke Kearney. She's the chief mission officer for Morgan's Wonderland Foundation, which runs Morgan's Wonderland Theme Park, the world's first ultra accessible theme park.
4: So Morgan's Wonderland is located here in Northeast San Antonio, Texas, right off I-35. And we are the first of its kind, nonprofit theme park in the world that is built for all ages and all abilities. Our founder, Gordon and Maggie Hartman, um, have a daughter named Morgan, but the starting situation happened when they were on vacation at a resort and their daughter Morgan, who has special needs, was trying to play with other kiddos in this resort pool area. And the other kiddos just did not know what to do. They did not react well. They were very hesitant, kind of ran off. And so right then and there, they said, if we have the ability, we've got to build a place where people can play together, have all the barriers removed, make memories, and not worry about barriers that exist. So we are now in our 12th operating season and are just absolutely loving it.
1: The team behind Morgan's Wonderland have custom built every inch of the park to ensure full accessibility to every guest which is something no theme park has ever done before.
4: So our entire park is wheelchair accessible. So any attraction that we have is built so that if you utilize a wheelchair, you can utilize your wheelchair and get the same experience as another person. So for example, take a traditional carousel. There are other carousels where you can get a wheelchair on and secure it. Our carousel has a whole wheelchair gondola and that entire wheelchair gondola moves at the same motion as the horses or other animals do. Because what we see at other places and on other rides, yes, they may be able to accommodate your wheelchair, but you can't ride with your party. You can't ride with your friends that came with you. You can't ride with your family. We want you to be able to ride together. So you don't have to transfer out of your chair because we want you to maintain the level of independence that you have in the community. You're able to take your chair on our Ferris wheel and ride the Ferris wheel just like everybody else would ride the Ferris wheel.
1: And now Morgan's Wonderland has a water park offshoot called Morgan's Inspiration Island.
4: What's really cool is we have pneumatic chairs. So imagine you're an individual that utilizes an electric wheelchair and is completely independent in the community, can transport around, and I want to go to a water park. But hey, I want to be able to go around the water park on my own. Well, our pneumatic chairs are made completely with zero electrical components and are powered by air. There's only 11 of these in the world and we have 10 of them here in our park. And so you can maneuver your wheelchair right under this, the falling water, just like you would any other chair. And those are things like, for example, in our water park, the big bucket that drops, so we have 200 gallons that drop on you. Imagine if you're an individual that is blind, right? We have a bell cue that goes off 15 seconds before that drops, so I know that's happening. So it's all about how can everyone experience the same thing together.
1: And the park isn't just a destination. It's an example of how spaces built for fun can use thoughtful design to make things accessible for everyone, which hopefully can be a catalyst that inspires parks and places around the world to follow suit
4: whether you're in a wheelchair, whether you use a walker, whether you have Down syndrome, whether you have autism, whether any hundred thing, you come here and you are an equal, you matter here, you are treated as if you are a human being first before you are any type of burden or barrier that exists in the community. So to be able to see families that have wanted to take their kiddos to a water park or have wanted to um, take their child who may have autism or sensory issues into a place and have not felt welcome it's a place of togetherness and it's a place of kindness that I would argue exists nowhere else in the world.
1: Morgan's Wonderland is a nonprofit. They also have summer camps and sports leagues. So go to morganswonderland.com to learn more about how you can donate, volunteer, and advocate. We have a link in our description. I might be stating the obvious here, especially after hearing about all the work Morgan's Wonderland does. But for individuals living without a disability or without a person with a disability in their life, it's very easy to ignore how so much of the travel world is built without full accessibility in mind. But those hurdles certainly don't stop many disabled individuals from traveling all over the world. Tony Giles is visually impaired and partially deaf, but he's visited close to 150 countries and all 50 states. Karen Willison utilizes an electric wheelchair in her day-to-day life, she spends so much of her time road tripping across the United States and blogging about it. In today's episode, we're going to hear from both of these travel writers and disability advocates. They're going to share their stories, talk about accessibility issues, and tell us a little bit about their favorite adventures and destinations all over the world. Let's get right to it. I'm Will Fulton, and this is Thrillist Explorers.
5: Well, we say to people, say, why does the blind person want to go traveling? I always say to them, because traveling is not just about seeing the vistas with your eyes. It's about, you know, eating the food and hearing the music. and But ultimately, it's about people. And without people, there isn't a lot of point. Without people, you don't have a country. So that's why I travel. Hi, my name is Tony Giles. I'm from southwest England. I live in a small seaside town about four hours by train from London. I was born blind. and went deaf when I was four or five. I spent the last 22 years traveling around the world independently. And it's kind of what I do. I've got my own website called TonyTheTraveller.com. And I've published three books. I've currently been to 148 countries, all 50 states of the U.S. i visited 49 of them by bus. And I actually asked if I could get to Hawaii by, by Greyhound. But they said they didn't run buses there. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I had to fly, but uh, yeah, I did, um, I did a big trip around South America Chile, yeah. a little bit of Uruguay, and around and Southern, Africa. Southern Africa, so I did some crazy things, yeah. and bungee jumping, and guide yeah. I up in through Mozambique, uh, across Zimbabwe, and also into Malawi, very poor country. Yeah. I also, got over to Australia and New Zealand, Eastern Africa, Kenya, Uganda, typical places, and some sort of less touristy places like Burundi, Rwanda. In 2019, I went to Comoro Islands in the Indian Ocean, Republic of Sudan, which is just south of Egypt, which is quite difficult and complicated to get into. I love travelling and I love the challenge and trying to get from one place to another independently as possible and the harsher the terrain or the conditions the more I enjoy it. I kind of got into travelling big time when I was studying in the States and all my mates went down to Florida for a week and I thought oh they're not going to let me drink and party and take substances I probably shouldn't take so I thought ah. Oh, I got to New Orleans by myself. I heard about New Orleans and the music, the blues and the jazz, and I thought that'd be fun. I managed to get someone to help me book a hostel, and, I, and then I got a taxi from the airport in New Orleans. And that was easy, and then I just asked for directions how to get to Bourbon Street. When I got to Bourbon Street, first thing I sort of noticed, I could sense the heat, obviously, it was very humid. Was Mardi Gras just happened, so it was lots, lots of people, lots of noise. I could hear music coming in from like open doors. and of bars and that, restaurants. I started walking along the street and then I found this store selling beer. And I went, oh, right, because I come from the UK where you can't drink beer on the street. So I found this store and that's what it was. And said, so, yeah, it's a beer store, so you can buy beers. So, yeah, i said, yeah, walk along the street. So yeah. So I bought a couple of beers and just walked along the street, sipping on a beer. And I can feel the heat and sense of people moving around me. and Yeah, it's... Uh, a great atmosphere and uh, I kept walking along and I sort of heard noises on my left, noises on my right. So I was walking past bars and restaurants and then I could smell I walked past one place I could smell spicy cooking and oil. And, oh, I went into a couple of places and asked what kind of food they had and I eventually found a, a bar with a live jazz bands, asked what food they had and uh, it just felt the whole atmosphere was buzzing and alive. It was, whole whole street was alive and I remember I spent the sort of next six or seven days doing that every night. So that was my first real experience in the States, in different ways of the world. So yeah, for me it's about creating a picture of a country. I see a country through its food, its music, you know, how can I experience it? if I walk up mountains and feel the wind in my beard or sun on my skin or you know hike through the rainforest with local guides and so yeah i want to visit a country i don't i don't go on holiday and sit on a beach for two weeks or go to a resort i i want to go and experience the local people stay with the local people eat with families and learn about how they cope first time i went to africa i did this three-day trek a pony trek in a small country called Lesotho, which is a mountain country within south africa and I remember we was, we're sitting up in the mountains here, and the guys said to me, you know, in the morning, Tony, tomorrow morning, the women will get up at about six in the morning, and they'll um, go down the mountain to a stream with buckets, and they'll fill the buckets up with water, and walk back up the mountain hill to the village, carrying these buckets of water on their heads, and they can't drop any of it, because the water's so precious. And these people do this every day, every day of the year. Things like that, that sort of really opens your eyes up to things and hopefully it's, uh, educate me in different ways of the world. And I try and use all my senses to give me a picture. Of, I think for me, the most amazing music I've heard was in South America and Central America. Salsa and Samba, absolutely unbelievable. My first day in Brazil, one of the guys worked in a hostel who was local he said, Hey Tony, you're going out for a samba party tonight, you wanna to come? So oh, yeah, right, that'd be cool. We didn't go out till midnight and we went to this bar and everything was really quiet. I thought, oh, what's going on? Yeah, oh, yeah, nothing nothing happens till midnight. So eventually this bar's open, we go in and then the drums start banging away and people start coming in and, and the atmosphere starts building and then like live guitars and tambourines castanets and I get on the dance floor like hundreds of people dancing and moving and bouncing into me the rhythm was just I could feel it through all my bones and my feet and it was just electrifying absolutely the energy the drums were getting faster and faster and just like couldn't stop dancing and exhausted. right more beer more beer more dancing (laughs) just feel it all coursing through my veins and my nerves Amazing. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to try some interesting foods different countries around the world. Some of the meat in South Africa and Zambia is quite amazing. Um, caribou, impala meat, also ostrich meat. I would say the most memorable culinary experience I've had is in Japan. It's absolutely incredible. This is all these little, little different dishes different sort of flavors and textures. Any one little dish has put you up three or four different textures and flavors. I tried horse tongue in one market, which was kind of sort of slimy-ish but sort of tough as well. And um, I'd go back to Japan tomorrow just for the food. Pretty incredible. People are really friendly. It's kind of, Tokyo is quite easy to navigate if you're blind. There's these tactile lines on the on the ground and uh, in the subway, the airport and on the street, so you can blind people, you just use your cane and follow them. And also we discovered, I went with my girlfriend, and we discovered there's Braille everywhere in Japan, even like microwaves and washing machines, and even the toilets, because the toilets are really complicated. There's about 20 different buttons, and you can sit on a toilet in Japan, and it'll, it'll warm the seat for you, it'll warm your bum, it'll flush you automatically, do all kinds of things. <laughs> it's quite amazing. Even though the Braille is only in Japanese, but it's, I just found that amazing. Obviously, being blind, I tend to I do I do my research as a city or a country I'm going to beforehand. I need to have the information before me because I can't just pick up a brochure when I'm there or something. So, and for me, I want things I can hear, things I can touch. So, like in Krakow, Poland, they've got a lot of historical buildings, famous cathedral and a castle. But interestingly, outside each of the main big monuments, they've got tactile models for blind people and visually impaired people to feel. So they can sort of get an idea of the building they are about to visit. And then I tend to sort of look for museums or tourist attractions. that have got audio guides or guided tours so I can access the information and get descriptions of the building or the exhibits I'm looking at. And I like climbing up things. Like Lots of people want to, if you are to say, well, they want to put you in the lift or the elevator, but I want to climb everything. So I climbed up the steps of the Statue of Liberty and climbed up the steps of the Eiffel Tower. I love doing that kind of stuff everything's got to be hands-on for me I've got to be feeling it all been to the, the Lincoln Memorial I almost got arrested actually touching it but I didn't know I wasn't allowed to touch it I stepped over the guardway I was touching up Lincoln <laughs> New York City is probably the easiest city in the world for a blind person because it's all on a good system so you just count streets as you're walking and then if you're not quite sure what corner you're on or what block you're on you just ask someone and say well I you're on such and such East Street or such and such West Side, and you've got an instant idea in your sort of head where you are, and then, particularly in Manhattan. I find New Yorkers really friendly. They do appear aggressive or grumpy when you first meet them, but once you sort of get used to them, they're actually quite all right. I really struggled in Italy. I don't speak Italian, which probably doesn't help, but I found the Italians not very, very helpful when it comes to directions or not very positive towards disabled people. And I've even travelled there with my girlfriend who speaks fairly good Italian. And they still just point when you're asking for directions, which <laughs> not much help if you're blind. So, yeah, I really find the Italians not great. And I would say the friendliest people. Um, I really love New Zealand. I travelled there twice. I could live in New Zealand. I found them really friendly relaxed and... I don't seem to have much problem with a you know, blind person of to bungee jump or throw himself out of an aeroplane. They seem quite happy to sort of help me. Not everybody understands what a blind person is doing in their country, but most people want to help or, you know, at least you get from one place to another. I love water. I love the feel of it and the sound of it. Niagara Falls on the American and the Canadian side. And also Iguazu Falls on the Argentine-Brazil border. And that's the most amazing waterfall in the world, because you get right on top of it. It's incredible. I recommend people go and visit that. And also Victoria Falls between Zimbabwe and Zambia. I was in Zambia in a town called Livingston. It's on the Zambezi River, so the fourth largest river in Africa. I've done some white water rafting in other countries, in the States, New Zealand. And there's this big water rafting trip. One of the main activities they do in Livingston. But yeah, I'm up for that. We'll go rafting for the day. There's a big, big course, about 20 rapids. And then off we went up the river and we were paddling along. And in the instructor said, right, get round those corners, a really big one coming up. All right. So we start paddling through it. And then he suddenly shouts, Get down. And everyone's grabbing, like getting down and sort of moving into the middle of the raft and grabbing ropes. And I sort of heard the command a little later. and. As I was trying to get down and find a rope, the the rapid, the wave, hit me in the stomach, and I flipped over and did a somersault and ended up in the middle of the river in the rapid. And I think, oh my, beep, 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 and the raft sails away, and I'm in this huge rapid, and I'm going up and down and under and up and down, and it's a bit like I imagine being in a washing machine, going round and round and round, drinking half the river. And um, I'm wearing a life vest. I am sort of panicking and thinking, I can't get out of this. And I eventually, sort of start kicking my legs and my arms. And I managed to get on my back and I managed to flow down the river and come out of the rapid. But just as I come out of the rapid into sort of clear, <laughs> calmer water, the next, the next rubber raft comes along, and runs me. I didn't see me. It ran me over. And I go back under again for <laughs> uh, It was pretty unbelievable. Uh, eventually I managed to resurface and start swimming and then I, they, luckily the, my raft had stopped to search for me and then they saw me and they started banging on the side of the raft like bang, bang, bang like this and I was wearing my hearing aids but obviously they weren't working because of the water I could sort of hear the banging and sense it so I started swimming to the noise and then they, they grabbed me, pulled me in <laughs> I was pretty knackered at this point I was like, oh, what had happened? Um, I survived it and, we managed to sort of have three more rapids to go and finish the course and give me a beer. <laughs> so, yeah, that was pretty amazing. But <laughs> I survived. <laughs> I mean, obviously, traveling, being blind and being partially deaf, I'm potentially more vulnerable than someone who's sighted or with hearing problems or other difficulties. I was actually in a church in Bulgaria. I asked the guy near the entrance, "If you take a picture of me in the front in the, in the entrance of the church, give me camera." And he said, "Yeah, yeah." And I, I sort of got ready to sort of pose. I heard him just walking away with the camera. i like, "Oh, <laughs> what do I do now?" Because I couldn't really run after him. We're <laughs> not been able to see. So yeah, that was quite a shock. I've had a few bad incidences, but I've um, mostly been very, very lucky travelling. And I think the fact that I'm sort of blind and I'm out there on my own and I'm sort of having a go and meeting people and I'm willing to talk to people and I come over as positive And I think people sort of admire that. Travelling is what I do. It's my passion. So the sooner I can get travelling again, the better, obviously safely. But I'm positive for the future. I'm a positive person, I think we'll get there eventually. So, if people want to find out more about me, they can go to www.tonythetraveler.com and spell traveler with two L's the English way. And then, my latest ebook is called Seeing a Slice of Southern Africa My Way, and they're basically about the adventures of a blind and partially deaf guy as he travels around the world having crazy adventures like bungee jumping, skydiving, almost drowning and other kind of things. I mean, I understand what it's like being disabled and how that can be so difficult. Just getting out the front door and walking down the street can be such a challenge because it's a a daily challenge that doesn't go away. And I started really, you know, for people with no obvious disabilities have those issues as well. So I thought, yeah. Why not? Try and inspire people and you know, help people to live their life and try things. And, you know, life's for living. And you get one chance. And, so yeah, that's what it's all about now.
1: All right, big thanks to Tony for sharing his experience and his travels. To find out more about Tony and what he does, go to TonyTheTraveler.com. There's a link in our description. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back.
2: Rise above the sea of sameness and shop the Lincoln Corsair at Woodhouse Lincoln, the Omaha Metro's exclusive Lincoln dealer. The Lincoln Corsair has seating for five and integrated technology features that deliver the functionality you need. With an expressive aesthetic and luxurious interior, the Lincoln Corsair is quiet luxury, redefined. Visit us in-store off 144th and Giles Road at Woodhouse Place or online at woodhouselincoln.com.
0: A brand new eight-episode scripted podcast. Response. Yeah,
4: I need a We had Jason's forty-two sports in A little over twelve months ago, an eighteen-year-old African American young man named Niles Hayes was driving a family friend's luxury vehicle when he was stopped for a routine traffic violation. Things escalate quickly.
0: <laughs> Unit five ten Nora, we have a nine 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 shooting in progress. Officers down!
4: Within hours of the police stop, footage of the entire altercation gets posted online. And it goes viral.
2: I'm Colleen Sanders, and we're here live from the Los Angeles Valley. Chase, outside air
0: on you police. see how they do us?
1: This One case presented a lot of dead. challenges. So you Death got officers. the whole PD outside my
0: building, ready to light the entire block. Any number of outcomes could have happened and different choices were made. I guess what I am struggling with. You struggle with it because you live in a different reality than we do. Listen to hashtag matter on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I think that a lot of people with disabilities, especially people maybe who have acquired a disability later in life, they may feel like they can't travel anymore. They may feel like it's just not something that's possible for them. And, and I want them to know that it is possible and that it's, it can be an incredibly fulfilling experience. Hi, my name is Karen Willison and I live in the Midwestern United States. I am a travel blogger and I write about road tripping across the country as a person who uses a wheelchair. I was born with cerebral palsy, so I am not able to walk and I need assistance with a lot of daily tasks, but I am dedicated to seeing the world and sharing my experiences with others. I've always loved to travel. Growing up, my parents took me camping a lot. We went on an RV road trip across the Western United States. We went to Yellowstone National Park and it just inspired me to keep going with that. National parks are actually among the most accessible destinations. The National Park Service has prioritized disability and they've made nature about as accessible as it can be. If you have a permanent disability, you can qualify for a card that gets you free admission to any national park and they're well worth a visit. I often say that smooth travel with a disability is maybe not possible and certainly not common, but enjoyable travel with a disability is absolutely possible and it's always worth it. Even my worst trip, I would say, was worth it. So I enjoy road trips and part of that is just that I like the more relaxing pace, but there's another significant aspect, which is that flying as a wheelchair user, especially a power wheelchair user, can be a gamble because unfortunately the airlines have a long history of damaging mobility equipment. There was recently a law passed that they had to disclose the number of wheelchairs that are being broken and the initial numbers came out and it was 25 wheelchairs per day that got broken. And of course, if you're traveling and you get to your destination and they unload your wheelchair and it's unusual, you're stuck. A high power wheelchair, a high level power wheelchair like mine, uh, my wheelchair stands, It elevates. It reclines. It does all kinds of things that are necessary for my mobility so I can't just sit in another chair and be able to to function. In 2010, I was unfortunately in an abusive relationship and I was realizing that, that the situation wasn't good and I needed some time to get away. So I actually took a road trip from California, where I was living at the time, all the way to New York. And it was an amazing experience and it inspired me to start traveling regularly and then to start writing about it because I am a writer. So I just kind of combined those two loves and I started my blog. So I need assistance with things like getting out of bed and getting dressed. So I always travel with a personal care assistant and that person also drives. I started out traveling, taking these cross country road trips in an old beat up minivan that has a wheelchair ramp on it. And it had a lot of miles on it by the time I retired it. So one time I was on one of those cross-country trips and the plastic edging on the bottom of my van came off and it was dragging along the ground as we were on the freeway. So we had to pull over and fix it with duct tape. And I took it in to be repaired and they fixed it with zip ties. So (laughs) that piece of bumper, I mean, that was apparently just, you know eventually the van was just literally taped together. recently i got a full size pro master van which is much better traveling with a disability takes a lot of planning it's difficult to just be spontaneous when i'm when i'm looking for a hotel room particularly at my my ultimate destination i do research online i try to find pictures of the room but even if i have booked the room i don't count on the fact that I have it unless I've called and confirmed because there have been times when I've booked it and then I've gotten there and it wasn't available, which is the the worst nightmare scenario that I've encountered many times because I need that accessible bathroom and that accessible roll-in shower. I post reviews and guides on my website to help other travelers with disabilities get a sense of that destination and whether they'd want to visit and what kind of planning might be involved for them. You know people with disabilities we have a diverse array of needs and obviously other people are going to have different needs from me but if I can describe the the facility, the attraction, as well as possible, then it may give others an idea of whether it's something that they would enjoy doing and and could do. So I go to New York City a lot. With that said, I don't particularly recommend it as a first time disability friendly destination, because there are a lot of accessibility challenges there. I go there because I love Broadway shows. As far as accessibility goes, the subway has uh, very limited accessibility. Uh, the parking of course is difficult and uh, there's a lot of streets, sidewalks that do not have curb cuts. So if you're looking to visit an older city, Boston is actually a great choice. In Boston, there have been a lot of disability advocates who have worked on it, and so even though it is an old city, they've done a good job of making large portions of it accessible, And, and that's why there's such a difference. I would say, for me, the type of accessibility that I like to see every day and that also frustrates me most when it's not present is the simple accessibility stores, if they have one or two steps, why is there no ramp? Whereas if I go along and I see that there are ramps, it tells me that I'm welcome and it makes me enjoy that place and want to recommend it to others. I recommend Denver, Colorado as an excellent accessible travel destination. Colorado, there's been a very strong disability advocacy movement there for many years and so Accessibility has been prioritized and it's, it's just a great place to visit. There's a lot to do and it's beautiful and it's accessible. I created my blog both to show people with disabilities and non-disabled people what it's like to travel with a physical disability. I, I want to reach anyone who's interested in learning more. And it's important for non-disabled people to know we're a market. We have money to spend like everybody else. And it's actually to your financial advantage to make things accessible for us. A lot of times I feel like businesses, they see accessibility as a hassle. They see it as oh, something expensive that we have to do. But First of all, it's not necessarily that expensive, especially if you plan it out from the beginning, new construction, it doesn't cost much to make something accessible. And people with disabilities will reward your efforts, your caring about making things accessible by giving you our business. We we love to visit accessible places and to tell our friends with disabilities about them. I think people who don't have a disability, who haven't been around disability much, or the only disability they've experienced was maybe an elderly relative, they've assumed that when you're disabled that your life is really limited or that it's it bad or sad or depressing. And it's not. And it certainly doesn't have to be. You know, We are capable of so much. We just need the opportunity and we need accessibility and we need people to recognize our capabilities. That's really what you can do to make the world a better place for everybody. I travel because it allows me to be myself. I feel most like myself when I'm traveling because I'm out there, I'm getting to know people, I'm experiencing the world and I I feel like anything and everything is possible. And I want others to feel the same way. I want other people to know you can do this and it's absolutely worth it.
1: If you want to learn more about Karen and read some of her writing, go to freewheelingtravel.org. There's a link in our description. We're gonna take another quick break, but we'll be right back to wrap things up. Stick around.
2: Rise above the sea of sameness and shop the Lincoln Corsair at Woodhouse Lincoln, the Omaha Metro's exclusive Lincoln dealer. The Lincoln Corsair has seating for five and integrated technology features that deliver the functionality you need. With an expressive aesthetic and luxurious interior, the Lincoln Corsair is quiet luxury, redefined. Visit us in-store off 144th and Giles Road at Woodhouse Place or online at woodhouselincoln.com.
0: Hey, so what's a great way to spread awareness that driving high is illegal everywhere? A catchy song, of course. You can. Friendly reminder, don't drive high. If you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, everybody, it's Chuck and Josh here from Stuff You Should Know to encourage you to listen to this week's episode on NATO. Yeah, we dive into the history of NATO, why it matters, and what the heck is going on in Ukraine right now. That's right. And the history is really important because we get into how it was formed, which countries are involved. We talk about how NATO is budgeted and where the money comes from. And really what it boils down to is an agreement among nations to collectively protect one another and support one another. Yeah. So if you've been like, why is NATO sending arms but not troops to Ukraine? And what's this talk about neutrality? And why is Russia in Ukraine in the first place? Check out our episode on NATO. What's NATO all about? Available now wherever you get podcasts.
1: All right, so that does it for us for this week. I want to thank the whole Thrillist podcast team. Editors, Dean White and Abby Austria. Producers, Jake Rasmussen and Mia Fask. Jim D'Amico, Megan Kirsch, Brett Kushner, Emily Feld. And from iHeartRadio, Mangesh Harakudar. That's it. See you next week.
2: Rise above the sea of sameness and shop the Lincoln Corsair at Woodhouse Lincoln, the Omaha Metro's exclusive Lincoln dealer. The Lincoln Corsair has seating for five and integrated technology features that deliver the functionality you need. With an expressive aesthetic and luxurious interior, the Lincoln Corsair is quiet luxury, redefined. Visit us in-store off 144th and Giles Road at Woodhouse Place or online at woodhouselincoln.com.
4: I'm Chelsea Clinton, and I'm so excited to be back with a new season of my podcast, In Fact. We're marking Women's History Month with 12 trailblazing women in sports, media, politics, and more, talking about the progress we've made or lost and how far we still need to go. From soccer star Megan Rapinoe to White House correspondent April Ryan to fashion designer Stella McCartney, these women have risen to the top of their fields and are fighting for equal opportunities for everyone. So I hope you'll join us and listen to In Fact With Me, Chelsea Clinton, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hey everybody, it's Josh and Chuck from Stuff You Should Know, and we wanted to tell you to check out our new episode, What's NATO All About? That's right. We talk about the history of NATO, how NATO is funded, which countries are involved and why it's more important than ever that you understand what NATO does with the situation with Russia and Ukraine. So if you're like, I've been feeling kind of geopolitical lately, then head on over to the Stuff You Should Know feed and check out What's NATO All About? Available now wherever you get podcasts.